Well, today's service is a bit different from our normal format because today we devote the entirety of our worship hour to the observance of an ordinance that Christ gave to his church, that of communion. Now, an ordinance is a rite, that is a ceremony that we observe in obedience to what Christ has commanded. Now, please understand that communion does not serve in any way to get you to heaven. In fact, as we'll see, those who participate in communion are those who are already going to heaven, and they do not take part as a means to get there. Communion, or as we call it, the Lord's table, is a memorial. It's a symbol that reminds us of the work of Jesus Christ. Now, who should participate? Well, this ceremony is for those who have trusted Christ as Savior. Now, if you're here and do not know what that means, then I'd love to explain that to you at a time of your convenience. So I'd encourage you to see me afterwards, and let's set a time to get together. And in the meantime... We're delighted that you're our guest, and we encourage you to simply observe what happens today. Now, for those who have trusted Christ as Savior, the Bible gives one other requirement, and that is that we confess sin before we partake of the Lord's table. In a bit, we're going to take time to go to the Lord and confess our sin. Now, it may be that we have some sin that we refuse to give up, Or there's something that the Lord has told us in his word that we're to do, but we're unwilling to obey. In either case, we should take this to the Lord. We should confess it. And he promises to forgive. Now, one matter that's too often overlooked as it relates to our worship on any Lord's Day, on any Sunday, including Ordinance Sunday, comes from something that Jesus said. He said this, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Jesus is saying that if there's an issue between you and a brother or sister, you should take care of that before participating in worship, including our worship today in communion. So if you're simply refusing to handle a situation by refusing to pursue reconciliation, I'd encourage you not to participate and then to take care of that issue today. Now, perhaps this requirement is new to you and you haven't had opportunity to seek reconciliation. If that's the case, take the matter to the Lord when we pray in just a bit. Ask for his wisdom and then address it with the individual this week, even this afternoon, because it's that urgent, that important to God. Another matter about which the Lord has commanded us is the issue of baptism. The Bible is clear that those who know Christ as Savior are to follow him in obedience and baptism. Now, if you're just struggling with what baptism is or if you haven't had occasion to look into it, then if you've trusted Christ as Savior, we urge you to participate in communion today. But you need to make it a point to see me about baptism. If you have looked into baptism and you're just refusing, then that's a sin that needs to be confessed. But you can do that this morning and then you can follow up by getting with me and then we can go from there. Now, finally, should uh, children participate? Well, the requirements for children are the same as that for adults. They need to know Christ as Savior and be willing to be baptized. There's no prescribed age for either communion or baptism. 
And we leave it to parents to decide if their children should participate. So who should participate? It's those who know Christ as Savior and who have confessed known sin in their lives. Now, we're going to pray in just a moment and give opportunity to do that very thing. But I'm going to ask the guys to come forward for our offering. We're receiving our regular weekly offering now the beginning of our service. Those of you that have been with us in weeks past, you know that normally it's a little bit later in the service. But on Communion Sunday, Ordinance Sunday, we do this at uh, the, the beginning. And that's partly because we have two offerings on Ordinance Sunday. Uh, so at the end of our service, we have a second offering for benevolence. And I'll explain that briefly when we get to that time. So this is our regular weekly offering. Those who normally participate in that, this is our time. Those of you who are guests do not feel obligated to participate. Just pass the basket to the person next to you. Now, we're going to pray and perhaps take this opportunity to confess any known sin to the Lord. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for our sin. Because of his offering of himself for us, we delight to offer ourselves to you in gratitude. We thank you for allowing us the privilege of being your children and being able to set aside this time to remember his sacrifice made for us. Lord, we readily confess that we are sinners in general and that each of us struggles with certain sins in particular. We pray that you'll be pleased as we remember with profoundly thankful hearts the death of your son and that we'll be motivated to recommit ourselves to the service of the one who alone is worthy. We ask that you accept these gifts as a sacrifice of worship and help us to use these funds wisely and as a means to spread your fame. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And the guys are making their way up front with some Bibles. If you need one, then as they make their way toward the back, just get their attention. And they will get one of those Bibles to you that's marked for you at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2, and let's read together in verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities... He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. As we remember the cross work of Christ on Ordinance Sunday, this passage teaches us a number of things. The first is the Lord's table shows us our need for God's grace. And our need is seen in verse 13, which says, You were dead in your sins. This is telling us that all of us at one time were in a condition that was helpless. You see, the Bible teaches that all come into the world spiritually dead and separated from God. Now, when we think of death, we naturally think of physical death. But the Bible teaches that there is spiritual death as well. Because, you see, the Bible teaches that death is separation. Physical death is the separation of the spirit from the body. Spiritual death is the separation of the individual from God. When it says we were dead in our sins, it's saying that we were separated from God spiritually because of sin. You may recall the first sin committed by the human race in the Garden of Eden. God had told Adam that he could eat of all the trees in the garden, but of one particular tree in the midst of the garden... You may not eat or, quote, in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, we all know the sad story that Adam disobeyed God and he did eat of the tree. But interestingly, he lived physically for many years after that. Dying at the age of 930, in fact. God said, in the day you eat of it, you will die. And yet Adam lived. So how can that be? Well, you see, Adam did die the very moment that he sinned because death is separation and Adam was separated in that moment spiritually from God. And the Bible teaches that this spiritual death, this separation from God, is passed on to Adam's descendants, to you and to me. So I've asked Brother Jerry, or excuse me, Brother Ken Akers to read for us from Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So you see, that's why I say our our condition was helpless. 
Before coming to Jesus Christ, we were dead in sin, and that separation from God meant that we were completely unable to help ourselves. In fact, Jesus said, quote, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. So we need God's grace because our condition was helpless. And this passage also tells us our condition outside of Christ was hopeless. Verse 13 again. You were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. Now you may recall from the first part of your Bible, the Old Testament, that the physical act of circumcision marked one as part of God's chosen people. But our sin means that even those who have the physical sign or had that physical sign in the Old Testament were not necessarily God's spiritual children. Sin means we are not God's people by nature. We are outside his family, not his children. And we're hopeless unless he intervenes. But thankfully, that's precisely what the Bible tells us God has done. I've asked Brother Moses Hool to read for us. The reading is from First Peter 2, verse 10. Uh, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We have a song that we sing fairly often called Beneath the Cross of Jesus. We're going to sing that in just a moment. Here are some of the lyrics uh, from that. Beneath the cross of Jesus, I find a place to stand. And I wonder at such mercy that calls me as I am. For hands that should discard me hold wounds which tell me come. Beneath the cross of Jesus, my unworthy soul is one. Then it goes on to say, beneath the cross of Jesus, his family is now my own. We were once strangers chasing selfish dreams, but now we're one through grace alone. Let's stand together as we sing.
seated. So we were all at one time both helpless and hopeless. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story because our passage tells us in verse 13 that while we were in this condition, God made us alive with Christ. So the Lord's table not only shows us our need for God's grace, but it shows us the application of that grace to us, which includes God giving spiritual life to the spiritually dead. Now notice, since our condition was so desperate, we were dead in sin. Only a resurrection could be the remedy. Not religion, not philosophy, not a relatively good life, a spiritual resurrection. So if you are a Christian today, it is because God gave you life when you were spiritually dead. Now many of you grew up in Christian homes, and perhaps you don't remember a time when you were far from God. And yet, no matter our upbringing or the lifestyle that we've led in the past, we were all in the same condition, in need of the same miracle, to be made spiritually alive. God has no grandchildren. Everyone has to come into God's family precisely the same way. And that's why Jesus told a religious man of noble standing, a man who was well regarded by the people and who kept all the religious rules, Jesus said to this man, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again. Jesus was saying, no one, including you, O religious one, can go to heaven unless he is born again. And Jesus is saying that because there was a a birth defect the first time. It was not a physical defect, but rather spiritual. We come into this world spiritually dead, and nothing less than the work of God on our dead, lifeless souls will give us spiritual life. That word born again that Jesus used in John chapter 3 when he spoke with that religious man, Nicodemus, it's a translation of a word that literally means born from Above, And in fact, in that very same passage, Jesus said, the spirit gives birth to spirit. So you, if you are a child of God, it's because the Holy Spirit of God has given you life from above. And remember, he did this while we were dead. So what a marvelous act of God's grace. And clearly, it's not because of anything we have done Because in our dead condition, there was nothing we could have done. The Bible makes that very clear in a number of places. One of those is in Titus chapter 3. I've asked Brother Larry Charbonneau to read for us. Titus 3, 5. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. You see, friends, one of the reasons we do not thank God continually and show our gratitude to God by giving our lives in service to him. Let me just stop there. But think about your own life. And think about whether or not you are someone who is living your entire life 
in service to God out of gratitude to Him for what He's done to you. One of the reasons we do not do that is that we do not recognize the depths from which God has rescued us. If we recognize the depths from which God has saved us, then we would be continually thankful to Him. Not only with our lips, but also with our lives. The next song that we're going to sing emphasizes what God has done for us and the condition from which He saved us. When it says, I was blinded by my sin. I had no ears to hear your voice. I did not know your love within. I had no taste for heaven's joys. But then your spirit gave me life and opened up your word to me through the gospel of your son, gave me endless hope and peace. I invite you to stand again as we sing. In the application of God's grace, he has given spiritual life to the spiritually dead. 
And he's also forgiven us. The last part of verse 13 in Colossians 2 says he forgave us. Now, please note that the granting of forgiveness for our sins, like the giving of spiritual life, is a matter of God's grace. The word translated forgave, in fact, in verse 13, has at its root the same uh, word that we translate grace in your New Testament. So this emphasizes to us that the forgiveness that God has given to us is something that God was not obligated to grant. Grace, by definition, is something that is undeserved. So God was not obligated. And further, we are not obligated to do any work to receive it because doing a work to receive it would nullify the idea of grace. Something undeserved, unearned, and unwanted. A free gift given by God. Now, some are familiar, perhaps, with the concept of penance in which one does a work in order to obtain pardon. That's contrary to what the Bible teaches. Forgiveness is, by definition, an act of grace, and grace is no longer grace if we do something to obtain it. In fact, the Bible says this in Romans chapter 4, the promise comes by faith so that... I'll read the rest of it in a moment. But the promise comes by faith for the purpose of so that... It may be by grace. In other words, if it came any other way than by faith, then it would not be by grace. Certainly if it came by works, something we do, it would not be a matter of grace. And that's why the Bible does not call us to do something, but rather to believe what he did for us. And so Jesus told the parable of the two men who went to the temple to pray. And the one who came away justified was the one who simply said, quote, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Bible says, he who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Over and over again, it's believe what I have done, it's not what you do. Famously, the Bible tells us this in Ephesians chapter 2. I've asked Brother Jerry Pruitt to read for us. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So there's nothing that we need to do. Indeed, there's nothing that we can do to obtain our forgiveness. And this is seen further because the passage tells us In verse 13, he forgave us, and notice, all our sins. So God's forgiveness is a matter of his grace, and this forgiveness is complete. It extends to all of our sins. The Bible teaches that when we come to Jesus, he forgives us all our sins. Now hear this, past, present, and future. Most religions teach that God forgives on condition. That is, when you come to Jesus, he forgives all your sins in the past. (laughs) But as for the future, we'll see how well you do. But notice the beauty of the gospel of grace. That God says the blood of Jesus has covered all of your sin. He forgave all of your sin. That's past, present, 
and future. What a sense of security that God's people have, knowing that we still struggle with sin, but knowing that there is nothing that can separate us from the hand of our Father because our sins have been forgiven in their entirety, past, present, and future. That's why the Bible could say what it does in Romans chapter 4. I've asked Brother Ken Gilbert to read that for us. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Do you hear that last phrase? Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. He forgave us all our sins. I know we've had you stand a number of times, but we're going to do it again. We're going to sing together that blessedness, a song called Complete in Thee. Let's sing together as we stand. Because of this complete work of Jesus Christ, 
That's applied to those who come to him believing what he did, not what they can do for themselves. Because of that, the Bible can speak of a complete chain then of benefits that accrue to those who know the Lord, an unbroken chain, a chain that cannot be broken. So the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 30 that those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So those that he has predestined in eternity past, that in time he called. He called by the preaching of the gospel. and The good news message to which we respond and we embrace. And those who embrace that are justified. Now, you have four things listed there, predestined and called and justified. And then there's a last one. Those first three that I've talked about are all indeed in the past. One in eternity past, two in time past for those who have come to Christ. And then you have that fourth one, that those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Glorified is yet future. We will be with him in glory. We will have glorified bodies. But the Bible can write of it in the past tense. Here's why. Because it's as good as done. And it's as good as done because Jesus has done the work. And there is nothing that will happen in the future that will keep that from occurring. So it's an unbroken chain. And Colossians 2 tells us then about our need for God's grace. About the application of God's grace. And it tells us as well about the triumph of God's grace. This passage teaches that Jesus' death on the cross conquered two things that were against us. The first is that on the cross, Jesus paid our sin debt. Verse 14. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away. Nailing it to the cross. Now I say that on the cross Jesus paid our debt. Now why do I why do I say that? Well, you have that those two words legal indebtedness, and the description in verse fourteen, as well in the verses that follow, in particular verse sixteen, make it clear that what's being spoken of here is the law that God gave to Moses, including the Ten Commandments. And so that's why it speaks of this legal indebtedness that we had, a debt that we owed to the law. And the word that's translated legal indebtedness is one that was used in New Testament times of an IOU, a debt. So it's saying the law is something that we're obligated to fulfill just like a debt. So it has regulations and it has penalties for failing to fulfill them. And how many do you have to break in order to be guilty? Well, I've asked Brother Westdale to read for for us from James chapter 2. James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So we each have this obligation to obey God's law, but none of us has. So we have this debt that we owe, and we're all indebted, no matter how many of the commands that we've broken. Breaking one makes us guilty of all of them. So the law is a debt that has requirements and penalties that we're obligated to. 
And it's described in verse 14 as that which stood against us and condemned us. Now, how is the debt that we owe to fulfill the law against us and condemning us? Well, it's precisely against us and continually condemning us because we cannot on our own meet the obligation. The law stands as a constant reminder of our indebtedness and our inability to pay. You could think of it this way. Think of going to your mailbox day after day and finding a pile of bills there every day. The bills are there always in the mailbox and you know that you don't have enough to pay all of those bills. That's what the Bible is saying. The law is like a constant reminder that you owe but you cannot pay. It's similar to the description that John Bunyan gave in his famous Pilgrim's Progress. He had a character in there called Faithful. And Faithful would attempt to ascend what he called the Hill of Difficulty. But there was always, when he got toward the top, there was always a man there, the man depicting Moses, at the top of the Hill of Difficulty, when he finally is going to get there and Moses would knock him back down. Trying to keep the law will never work because we can never make it. We can never pay it. So what did Christ do with our debt? Verse 14 says he canceled it and he's taken it away. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty that belonged to us for breaking God's law. And that word that's translated Canceled refers to the custom of taking an IOU that had been paid and then putting an X over it. It's been paid. And so Jesus on the cross canceled it. In effect, he put an X over that IOU that we had because of our indebtedness to the law. And further, that passage says he has taken it away. And it's written in a tense In the Greek language, you know that this passage was first written in Greek, that emphasizes its ongoing effect. That is, the debt has been removed so that it can never again separate us from God. So Jesus' death on the cross conquered two things that were against us. One was our sin debt that he paid. The other is, on the cross, Jesus defeated our adversary who was and is against us. Verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The Bible teaches that Satan is the accuser. And he attempts to use our inability to meet God's standard to defeat us. He attempts to remind us of how short we've fallen of God's holy standard. Therefore, we're told here that not only has the standard been met and the debt canceled, but that the one who would accuse us has been defeated. The picture here, when it says he made a public spectacle of them, it's a picture from Roman battles in which the vanquished army would be led in procession before the people to show their utter defeat and humiliation. The Bible is saying that on the cross, Jesus defeated our enemies, in particular now our spiritual enemies, led by the accuser, Satan. 
And he, as it were, led them publicly by his death on the cross in humiliation as a vanquished army before the victors. What it means is this. Satan is now fighting a battle that he's already lost. The battle that he's fighting in your life and in my life is a battle that he has already lost and we will ultimately win because Christ has given the death knell to Satan and his minions. So we who were helpless and hopeless are provided a way to come to God. We who were dead can be made alive and forgiven all our sins. We can live confidently because the enemies that opposed us have been defeated by the cross of Jesus Christ. In that allegory, Pilgrim's Progress that I mentioned earlier, where faithful was knocked down continually as he attempted to ascend the hill of difficulty. Well, in that, John Bunyan had another person who overtook the attacker and stopped him. And that other person was none other than the Lord Jesus himself. The very beginning of your Bible, the very beginning of human history. Back when Adam was told, these are the rules, you may eat of all the trees in the garden, but this one tree you may not eat, as we said earlier, and we all know, he sinned by disobeying God in that. And then in chapter 3, the third chapter of your Bible, God meted out punishments now upon the serpent, upon the woman, upon the man, upon the earth, for all of that. And as God addressed the serpent, the embodiment of Satan, here's what the Lord said in Genesis chapter 3. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. That is, there's going to come one who's going to come through the seed of a woman. There's going to come a human being into the human race who's going to take care of the problem of sin That you have created. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And hear this. He will crush your head. It's a prophecy of what the Lord Jesus Christ would do. And we live on the other side of the cross. And he did it 2,000 years ago. And we reap the benefits. What it means is what we say in one of our famous hymns. Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. Let's stand together as we sing. Child of 
Jesus died my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. You may be seated. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Brother Ken McGill is going to lead us in our prayer as we thank the Lord for his broken body on our behalf. Let us all pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come before your table, we ask you to help us to have an attitude of gratitude. We thank you, Lord, for the many blessings you have given us in the past, the present, and into the future. We thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, into the world, God the Son, who gave his life for us. We thank you, Lord, that now he has risen. As we see the symbols behind me, the cross where he died, but he didn't stay there. He was buried. He was resurrected. And he's now at the right hand of God, intercessing for us with our, with our prayers. Now, Lord, we ask you, as Jesus told us, remember me when you do this. Partake before I have done this for you. Do it in remembrance of me.
Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Pastor Rich Carrico will lead us in thanking the Lord for his shed blood on our behalf. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for being the true and living God. You are all-knowing and powerful, and you transcend all your creation. And in your greatness, you love us in spite of who we are. And Lord, we just seen from your word that we are dead spiritually, but yet we're defiant. We do not follow, we did not follow you in any way. And Lord, we are thankful for the work of Christ and what he accomplished for us on the cross. Lord, we see from your word that he being very nature God, he humbled himself to become a servant among us and to serve us. And he was obedient unto the death of the cross. Lord, we just thank you for that. We thank you for the precious blood that was spilled on our behalf, which we did not deserve. Lord, I pray that each of us might model the gospel with each other, that we might be quick to ask for forgiveness, that we might be quick to grant forgiveness. That is the same with what you've done for us, Lord. We just thank you for that. Help us, Lord, to be able to share the gospel with Trenton and all those around us, Lord, so that there will be more that will bring glory to your name. In Christ's name, amen.
Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. In a little bit, we're going to conclude our communion service by singing Amazing Grace. But before we do, we have some other items to take care of. I mentioned to you that at the beginning of the service, that on Ordinance Sunday, we take two offerings. At the very beginning of the service, we uh, took our regular offering. And now we're going to receive what we call our benevolence offerings. So if the guys will come forward. <coughs> and that benevolence offering is something that's in our church's bylaws. It's a fund that we maintain to help when needs arise within the church body. It's something that's controlled by our, overseen by our deacons. So when a need arises in the body and then that comes to the attention of our deacons, then we tap into that fund in order to meet that need. And we have that happen from time to time, so it is an important fund for us to have. And if you would like to and you're able to contribute to that, that's what this offering is about. So guys, you can go ahead and start receiving that offering. And while they do that, I want to call your attention to some things that are coming up. Uh, I want to go through announcements uh, very quickly, so if you'll look in your program. Let me call your attention to some of the things that are happening. This afternoon at 5 o'clock, as each Ordinance Sunday, we have baptism. We have two of our young people who are being baptized today. We want to encourage them in this step of faith, so I encourage all of you to uh, be here for that at 5 o'clock, and we have a celebration dinner that follows, and it's always a, a great time together in the Lord. Uh, just after we are finished here, though, at, during our 11 o'clock hour, after our refreshment time, uh, we have our first of four weeks of our newcomers orientation. So if you are new to our church, if you've never been through the four-week newcomers orientation, then I encourage you to stay for that. We'll start at 11.15, as I say, after our refreshment time. And that will be out the back door and across the hallway in adult classroom number two. Adult two, I'll be leading that today and for the next three weeks through a booklet of material that tells you about who we are, where we've come from, what we hope to be used of the Lord to accomplish in the future, and to answer any questions you may have. Now, attendance at that does not obligate you to join our church, to become a member, but it does give you information that will help you uh, to make that, make that decision. And just below that in your program, you see our Sunday night uh, home groups. Those won't meet tonight because of baptism. We meet next week, and that's for the final time for this current uh, grouping of uh, home groups. And we're going to redo those. We're going to reshuffle the groups. We do that every two years, so we're at the end of that two-year period. So there'll be open enrollment over the next several weeks, starting the first week of August, just in a couple weeks. We will have inserts every week in your program for enrollment in our community groups. And so you can check off on there if you would like to be assigned to a community group, and then we'll make sure that you'll be part of the next batch that will start up in the in the fall. So please make note of that. And then uh, this coming Wednesday, you see our Backyard Fellowship at 630 at the home of David and Christy Brinkley in Gibraltar. They've hosted that for us for several years. We always have a great time there. Uh, the church will provide the main dish. That main dish includes uh, the, the famous uh, mahi that David makes. And uh, that's become famous within our church. So David tells me he's going to do that again. And then uh, for those of you that are not fish people, I'm told if, even if you're not a fish person, you would like that. But nevertheless, we'll have a, another main dish as well. And then we, we ask you to bring a side 
and a two-liter, depending on your last name, and uh, everybody to bring a side, and to bring either a two-liter or a dessert. You see that, depending on your last name, bring a lawn chair so that you have a place to sit as, as well. And then on the back side of your program, notice the discipleship at CBC. I just want to call your attention to that. It's a month out. It's August the 20th, but during our second hour on that day, I'm asking everybody to be there, even if you're somebody who doesn't normally stick around for second hour. I'm asking you to do that because we have some important information to share with you about the structure of our discipleship ministries at the church. We're trying to make those accessible for everyone in the church as possible. I want to tell you what those are and how we're going to be going about those. So August the 20th, during our second hour, please plan on being there because all of us need to be actively involved in the uh, discipleship process. The Mud Hens game is coming up at the end of August. The tickets are now available in our resource center. Those are $10, so you can begin purchasing those, uh, those today. All right, we have one other uh, blessed item to take care of, and that is we have a, a couple who's looking to join with us in membership. So if Sherry and Jerry, if you guys will come. Oh, I did not know you were infirm. You guys should have, uh, you guys, I, I could have come to you. <laughs> well, good work. I won't ask you to say in front of everybody what happened. What happened? <laughs> so this is uh, Jerry and Sherry Bobbitt and their son, Joshua. They have another adult son, Jordan, as well, and uh, who is here. And we're delighted that uh, the Bobbitts have been attending our church for at least six months because I know in January you were taking some of the newcomers' orientation back then. So it's been a little over six months that they've been taking a look at our church and uh, praying about where the Lord would have them to serve as a family. And we have heard their testimony of salvation and of baptism. They've signed our church's covenant, and we're recommending them then for membership. So all in favor of receiving receiving Jerry and Sherry. Uh, Josh will have to make his own decision when he gets to be 18. But all of, in favor of receiving Jerry and Sherry into membership, signify by saying amen. Amen. Any opposed? All right. Well, then let's stand together for our closing song, which is Amazing Grace. Thank you, guys. And make sure you visit these guys during our refreshment time to welcome them into our church, all right?
our first hour this morning. We're so glad that you could join us. We now have second hour beginning in about a half hour at 11.15. In the meantime, we have snacks and refreshments just out those doors to uh, mingle. And don't forget to meet the Bobbits. Thanks.